Welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin, and I have a question for you. How would you know if you were asking yourself the right kinds of questions about your relationship? Today, we're talking with Catherine Woodward Thomas, an expert on the leading edge of how we create and sustain amazing relationships. We're going to be talking about how to use questions to fuel your growth and the growth of your relationship. You'll find out how to know if you're truly being a yes to your life and to your love. We're also going to talk about one thing that will always kill spark and attraction and how not to do it. And finally, we're going to cover how to get beyond your fears and overcome the wounds and triggers from your childhood that you might be carrying around with you. Catherine Woodward Thomas is the author of Calling in the One, a best-selling book about how to remove the obstacles within you to finding an amazing relationship. And she is also the creator of the online course and author of the forthcoming book, Conscious Uncoupling, which talks about how to end a relationship without getting completely traumatized in the process, along with how to heal so that you're even better prepared to do relationship right. As you might imagine, Catherine has a lot to offer. And if you're listening to this episode within the first week of its airing, you'll also hear how you can win a signed copy of Calling in the One. Catherine Woodward Thomas, thank you so much for being a guest on Relationship Alive. It's great to be here with you, Neil. Thanks for having me. I just want to start right off the top, too, that for those of you who are wondering, Catherine will be giving away a signed copy of her book, Calling in the One, and I'll have details for you during this episode for how you can qualify for that. And just so I don't forget, although I never do, uh, if you want more information about Catherine Woodward Thomas, you can always go to her website, catherinewoodwardthomas.com. And I believe there's a love offerings section there where you can get lots of free stuff. And there'll also be a page on my site, neilsatin.com slash KWT, where you can get all the important information about this episode. So let's get started. One thing that I love so much about your work, Catherine, is that you really cover the whole gamut of relationship. Calling in the One is all about how to bring amazing love and relationships into your life. Conscious uncoupling is about how to end a relationship, how to end it gracefully, how to heal, how to be ready for, for love. And all of your work really informs how we even do relationship. In particular, one thing that I really love is this. It's one of the first premises that you bring up in Calling in the One, which is this premise that we are responsible and for our own lives and that we are actually the creators of our, of our lives. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about that sense of responsibility and how important that is to creating an amazing relationship for yourself. Oh, great. Thanks, Neil. Um, well, you know, it's one of the core components of calling in the one is the ability to see yourself as the source of your experience. In other words, like how you want to reflect on how have I been the source of things not going well up until now. And I think that we all 
tend to grapple with that question. You know, when we're going through the agony of looking for someone and trying to find the right fit for ourselves and, you know, kind of the ups and downs of the dating path and all of its um, disappointments along the way. And, and we're, and, and most often the explanation that we're coming up with has something to do with the externals. Like men are a certain way. Men don't like powerful women or, you know, women are a certain way. Women just, you know, don't like men who are creative and they all, they're looking for, you know, financial security or, you know, even, even the thing that many of us say to ourselves, which is all the good ones are taken or I just haven't met the right person. All of these things are external to us. Where calling in the one differs from many programs is that it's really from the perspective of looking at our own consciousness and our own hidden, what I call hidden barriers to love. Those things that are not, are really kind of outside conscious awareness, which have to do with our belief systems or which have to do with old baggage that we're still incomplete with, resentments that are still festering, where we still feel victimized by a particular relationship in the past or even even long-standing relationships in our lives with family members, friends, or co-workers where we're losing personal power and we're, at a, we're, we're in dynamics which are kind of dysfunctional and codependent. All of these things are kind of weighing on us and preventing us from being really in the center of our power and available to create happy, healthy love. So the starting point of calling in the one is not so much about, you know, running out to try and find love, but to look within to seek and find all the barriers that we've built against it and to release those barriers in order to become magnetic to the right person for us. So how would someone know if they had these barriers? Well, I think that's a good question. I mean, I think, first of all, they're very, very common. And I think that, you know, you have a sense of whether you have an inner barrier to love if you feel kind of resigned and a little bit hopeless about love, that's a sign. Or if you have repetitive patterns that come up over and over, like somehow you're never the one that's chosen, or you are somehow you know, just never noticed or always passed over or somehow things start out with a bang and then they fizzle out or maybe you get involved in impossible loves and the other person is always unavailable. They're married, they're, they're, they're commitment phobic, they're an alcoholic, there's something in the way. There's always some other person, you know, some other drama going on. So if you have these kinds of, you know, dramatic patterns that is a good indication that there's something going on on a deeper level that is outside of your conscious awareness that if you were able to make it conscious, you could actually move through it very, very quickly and begin to generate a whole new possibility in your love life. I love that. And that whole process of making it conscious, I'm, I think I'm reminded of what you wrote about in Calling in the One about the power of asking questions and asking the right questions to give you a different perspective on some of the things that you've repeated over and over again or that you're seeing manifest in your life. I'm wondering if you have any hints for our listeners around that question of how do you ask a good question? How do you, if you're seeing those patterns, 
so they're a sign of some hidden belief. What what would be the next step that someone would take to to try and unearth some of what's really going on for them? Well, I think you're really hitting on the heart of it, Neil, when you ask that question, because the most of us who who want to take personal responsibility for our lives don't quite know how to ask ourselves questions in a way that's going to feed us power. We'll tend to ask ourselves shame-based questions like what the heck is wrong with me or what is you know how how stupid can I be or you know why am I doing this again? Like we we t- and why tends to be an odd question because it's a little bit shame-based and it kind of, and any kind of shame in our self-reflection process will literally um, get us stuck because shame stunts right. development. If you think about how we want to raise our children, we kind of know, like you, you just can't, oh, you don't know your arithmetic yet, you idiot. Like you don't ask that kind of a question of a six-year-old. Hopefully not. <laughs> you say, I mean, hopefully not, right? But you can see that the parent who might is going to fixate that person inside of a consciousness that they're stupid, that they can't learn this. It actually stunts development. And the same is true when we do that with ourselves. So we want to ask ourselves questions that are pretty intelligent and that really have at the very heart of it a foundation of unconditional positive regard for ourselves, respect for ourselves, and a deep compassion for ourselves. So let's just, you know, assume that we're all incredibly beautiful beings who are on, you know, who are who are really here to make a difference and have lives that are worthy and and that our our value is inherent. You know, that's kind of the starting base for when you're going to ask self-reflective questions that are going to lead you to a breakthrough in love. So those questions have to do with, are going to have to do with kind of ferreting out, you know, the parts of us that are not congruent with the manifestation of love. And what I've learned is that we can want a relationship and we can wish for a relationship. We can pray for a relationship, but it doesn't mean that we're necessarily ready for a relationship. And so the the questions you want to ask yourself are, well, you know, what's, what's right about, you know, bringing in people who are unavailable? How is that keeping me safe? What am I getting out of being single? What doesn't, what part of me doesn't want to be in relationship? Um, you know, how, um, you know, how, how am I, how am I pushing love away? And what's actually more true about this situation than what I'm admitting to myself right now? These kinds of questions are going to open up areas in our consciousness that are going to give us some concrete access to movement because once you make something conscious what happens is the power of choice is restored and until it's made conscious it's kind of in charge of you you cannot skip over these things you can't outsmart the part of you that really doesn't trust that being in a relationship is safe because you know see once you once but once you make it conscious what you can do is you can say well okay well it makes sense to me that until I learn to speak my mind, to honor my own deeper knowing, or to ask questions of other people that would give me the information I would really need 
it really isn't safe for me to be in a relationship. So it's kind of smart that I have all of these kinds of, you know, relationships at a distance where I'm not really going to be overpowered. So a lot of times what's, what you're going to discover when you ask the right questions is what actually needs to develop in me. And I think, you know, part of the calling in the one and the conscious uncoupling uh, process is that they're very developmentally oriented. And they're just saying to us, look, the reason we're having trouble is because we, we are not yet the people that we would need to be in order to manifest and then sustain the kinds of loving relationships that we would really desire. And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of radical for a lot of us. You know, we are a new generation. We want more from our relationships than our mothers or our grandmothers or, you know, grandfathers ever did. We have longer lifespans. We have the wonders of, you know, hormone uh, replacement therapy and Viagra, which keeps us sexually active and alive well into our 80s. You know, we are a generation who wants to self-actualize. And this is a new frontier for intimate relationships. And so the fact that we don't know how to do this very well is really understandable. And I think we have to get off our own case about it and recognize that the desires that we're having for um, to, to be able to have um, a best friend, uh, a lover that we can you know, have a deep spiritual soul connection with where we can both support each other to actualize our full potentials in life and get up underneath each other's dreams. And, you know, all of these things, these are nothing that our grandparents ever wanted. What our grandparents were hoping for was someone who had a job, somebody who came home after work at night and somebody who had like a, you know, a decent enough character to sustain, you know, a household over right. time, you know. So, 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 so the, the, the new desires that we have in our generation is kind of forcing us to learn to be more substantial people so that we are, have an empowered relationship with our own feelings and needs, that we're emotionally literate, that we have uh, good negotiation skills, that we have better boundaries, that we outgrow codependency and we learn the skills of healthy interdependency because that's the hunger that we have is for that kind of a relationship. Do you think, this is kind of a random question, but do you think people of previous generations, did they still feel like this dissatisfaction that would, that could have been healed by this kind of work? Or do you think that's the product of just where we are as humans in terms of our development? Well, I think dissatisfaction is actually on a cultural level a very good thing because dissatisfaction is what drives development. Um, and I think every generation has a developmental task. You know, if you think about our parents, and I think I'm probably older than you, but I'm going to, you know, take the liberty of saying our parents, um, you know, the, the generation before us, you know, those were the, that was the generation that was needing to secure equal rights for women uh, in, in much of the Western world. So their developmental task was a, a cultural one, a societal one. Um, and, and basically, you know, even though there's a long way to go to, to level the playing field completely, you know, we have children now who just 
our daughters just assume they can be doctors and airline pilots and captains of ships if they want to. There's not, it, it would never occur to them that they couldn't. And um, so the, the developmental task of our generation is to, I think, begin to explore the deeper dimensions of our own consciousness and to recognize that we are not saddled with living limited lives because we had wounded childhoods or somehow unfulfilling experiences or traumatic experiences that have now, you know, kind of limited what's possible for us in life. We're a generation that is leaning in to discover how to master the inner terrain of consciousness. So if you, so this is one of the things I get to say in Calling in the One all the time is your past does not determine what's possible for your future. Um, and so anything that you've been through in relationship, you know, that might point to your own damage or your own limitations or your own woundedness is not a life sentence on your life. It might point to the fact that you need to go in and you need to see the consciousness that you're inside of, uh, given what happened to you, the meaning that you made of what happened to you, and how your development has been stunted inside of that worldview. But once you identify that, then you're free to kind of begin to learn the missing development, like how to negotiate conflict in a healthy way, all the things that you didn't see modeled for you when you were growing up, or if you were you know, raised by narcissistic parents, how to begin to self-validate and become you know, a person of substance where you are comfortable in your own skin so that you can have a relationship with people, with someone where, where you're a whole person and they're a whole person and you're not repeating codependent patterns. All of these things are up for us to learn. And I think that's kind of the plethora of, of teachers and vehicles for communication. I mean, you're certainly one of those vehicles, Neil. You know, we're, we're all hungry now for inner development that would liberate us to be able to have healthier interdependent unions. And it's our contribution to kind of the, the chain of human development, I think, to be able to pass on to future generations is this inner development, which would allow us to be more masterful over our own consciousness and therefore what we can create. Well, I'm happy to be part of of uh, furthering the development of our species for sure. And uh, this will be there in uh, in posterity for for uh, generations to come to listen to. And with that in mind, let's dive in a little bit more to this question of, all right, how do we get more actualized in relationships? One thing that's coming to mind for me is this balance between confronting the fears that you have in relationship and also creating a vision for yourself and how those things really play off of each other. Because if you're held back by your fears, that's probably going to impair your vision for what's possible. And the other thing I just wanted to mention, too, for everyone listening, is that this stuff that we're talking about, I think it's great for getting into a relationship, particularly with Calling in the One, that the book was designed to take it, the reader through a process of truly getting into internal alignment with the the person that that uh that they might call to themselves for uh, for an amazing relationship and yet all of this stuff is so valuable if you're in a relationship 
Because if you're in relationship already, undoubtedly, you have fear that's holding you back in places. And there may be places where you're just kind of going through the motions and alienated from your vision of what you even really want your relationship to be. So can you talk about those those two things and how they work together? Well, I love I love your um, your phrase internal alignment with what it is that you want to create, and that is the focus of calling in the one. And um, I think just I, I need to say when we when we talk about a vision for love, and, and this gets into you know how we become magnetic. You know all the people in the law of attraction teachings. If you can resonate at this feeling level of what it is that you want to attract, you'll bring it in. You know, but the thing about relationships, intimate relationships, is that they're so core and they're so primal to who we are and and kind of the 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 te- the inner template that we have constructed about what's really possible for us to have in life they go back to a very very young place within us of no possibility very often and so there's a very even people who have a lot of spiritual depth and a lot of spiritual development um, whose lives are thriving in many ways will find themselves often tripped up in this area of intimate love and kind of on a very deep fundamental level uh, left with a feeling of being very resigned around the possibility of ever being able to really get their needs met in this way. And I call that a, a core love identity. It's the belief system um, around love that was developed when we were very young. Sometimes it's pre-verbal. It's in the, you know, in the crib where you cried and cried and cried and nobody ever came or they came you know, back, back, you know, in my in my day, I'm 57, and I kind of caught the coattail of the Dr. Spock era. And the word on the street back in the 50s was you let your kids cry it out for hours if need be because you did not want to coddle them and make them dependent. Well, now attachment theory is completely debunking that idea. And so a lot of us who like lived through that kind of parenting and had those kinds of experience were left with this kind of core imprinting. I'm alone in life. People always leave. I can never get what I really need from people. So it's like an imprinting almost like at a soul level. So how do you create love outside of that imprinting? Well, the possibility of love, of of the highest and the best interdependent union where you are fully supported and seen and really accepted for who you are and, and, and where your beloved is relating to you for the possibilities of who you can become and they're they're really right there in with, in there with you. They have your back. That's like outside of your story to have. You see, if you have this big I'm alone story, so the possibility of love that we're yearning for tends to be outside of our identity to have. And most often where we get tripped up in life as if we look at the, the areas that just come kind of easily, they're, you know, they, you don't really think too much about it. You just, you know, that money's going to come or you always have good friends or, you know, your health is a non-issue for you. You just assume you're going to be fit and thin and, you know, not have any weight issues or like, you know, everybody like has an area that kind of comes easily. And if you look, it's inside of your identity to have that. And the things that we struggle with the most are outside of our identity to have. So even if we are able to manifest something that's outside of our identity by the sheer muscle of our spiritual willpower, 
you know, it's very, it will, it will show up in the relationship as somewhat sabotaging. And that's what you're talking to, you know, when you're saying our fears versus our vision. Um, one of the things I do in Calling in the One is we look at these inner obstacles to love. We get very clear about what they are. I've kind of streamlined and fast-tracked the process of being able to kind of identify them and evolve beyond them and get ourselves really into a place of possibility where we are congruent with the deeper truth of our own value and our own power and can begin to manifest outside of that love identity and begin to even create a new sense of identity that's not based on our past experiences. And so once you're able to, you know, step into that possibility, you can begin to discern, you know, what exactly that fear is. And you start to work with it because you see that, you know, all of these fears that hold us back in intimate relationship are younger parts of ourselves. And the good news is, is that we're all grown now and we're all developed and developing. And so, and we have access to these deeper parts of ourselves. We have access to our soulful self. We have access to a part of ourselves that can feel into the possibilities present or that intuitively knows our next step or can see the larger perspective or can see our own consciousness as part of the larger whole. So all of these places, like we actually have a center of power that's deeper and wider than any of our fears. And one of the things that I like to teach people to do, and I do it both in calling in the one and conscious uncoupling, is I teach people how to connect these two parts of the self. So that the part of us that's very powerful and has access to wisdom and truth beyond our, you know, beyond our conscious mind even, can can extend love and support to the younger self that's struggling inside of erroneous meaning. You know, because children don't know that you, you, you don't know when you're one, two, three, four years old that or, or seven years old that your mother's an alcoholic or that your father is a sex addict or you know, that your parents are just deeply immature and need marital counseling. The meaning we make of all of those things that are going on is I'm not good enough. I'm not important. I don't matter. I'm not loved. You know, I'm not safe. I'm too much. You know, all of these erroneous assumptions that we came to. And we have to wake ourselves up out of the trance because if we're centered in those fears, as you call it, or the consciousness of that erroneous meaning, we're going to show up in ways that generate evidence of it, whether we're in relationship or out of relationship. So one of the things that I'm really working to do is to wake us up to live from a deeper center within ourselves and to be able to tend to those younger parts of ourselves without trying to pull on our partner and create mischief in the relationship. So that, you know, it's not like they're not going to be there because they're with us almost like, you know, like a child would be with us. And we have to learn how to hold those parts of ourselves and mentor those parts of ourselves so that we can fundamentally be coming into our relationships as adults and not needy, wounded children. And that's what's going to make all the difference. That sounds really good to me. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's just so clear as you go through life and things happen. I mean, it could just happen where someone cuts in front of you in line at the grocery store and you have this huge emotional reaction that's clearly connected to something that happened to you 
a long time ago that has nothing to do with this person who just needs to get out the door maybe more quickly than you do. And, and of course, in relationship, if we're choosing people based on trying to fix those fears or those or trying to, to find something outside of ourselves to address our, our core wounds, then ultimately that person is going to fail us. And it's just creating a situation where those wounds are going to be triggered over and over again and, and, and affect what we're doing in the, in the present. Is that what you're saying? It is really what I'm saying. I mean, it, it's, it's paradoxical because in many ways, you know, the, Harvell Hendricks really points to this. The people who kind of excite us and inspire us the most are people who could rewound us in the same <laughs> ways that our parents do, you know, but uh, that's the Imago therapy model. But, um, you know, and I like what Harvell's work does because he, he points us to, you know, really getting connected to what our own core wounds are and what the core wounds of our partners are and supporting the healing process with each other. Um, I think, you know, I leaned towards a bit more self-responsibility because I also recognize that very often what we'll do is we're so, we're so at the effect of our childhood wounds and we're so not in a, a powerful place in relationship to them that what we'll do is we'll almost hold other people hostage to try and fix our wounds. And I think that that's suffocating in relationship. And I think that that's a child-parent dynamic, which will kill Eros and um, creates a codependency that's not necessary. And I think that for true interdependence, where we each want to come in very self-responsible for what our own like inner story is and with a relationship that's strong to that younger part of the self so that we can be responsible and tell on ourselves and be transparent but we're asking for support of, from our partner um, from a place of already supporting ourselves mm. right we're not asking our partner to support us in a way that we're not yet willing to support ourselves I'm hoping that you can give our listeners a little more insight into how they would do that your, your process is so rich and I just want to say that this for me was one of the really profound and it was one of the first moments I believe in the conscious uncoupling course was this really looking at where my where where are my wounds and how can I take responsibility for for soothing myself parenting myself and and basically showing up to both be honest about where I'm hurt and how that's affecting me and to show up as my grown up self and say, all right, this is how I'm going to take care of that so that it doesn't affect what's happening here present for me with my partner or my prospective yeah. partners. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's, it's a great question. And I just want to remind us that just because we meet the right person doesn't mean that we're going to maximize the potentials of that relationship. So relationships are the dynamic of exchange that, that's kind of weaving the, the field between us. And that's an active and alive thing to be created. It's not just about meeting the right person. So because we can meet the right person and create kind of a codependent, toxic dynamic with them. Um, that is reflective of kind of moving backwards in time to duplicate patterns from the past of our 
our, the worst of our childhoods. And I think we all know that experience. And boy, there's few things more painful. So um, one of the things that I really teach is the number one, you know, I, I call it your love identity and calling in the one, but in, in conscious uncoupling, I call it your source fracture right. wound. Right. And, and that's where like, what's the original break in your heart? What was the meaning you made about yourself inside of that? And one of the difficulties, I think the biggest difficulty of a breakup is not just the trauma of ruptured attachment, but it's also the identity trauma where you were with this person. They were, you were, they were supposed to fix your childhood wounds. And now what they've done is they've confirmed confirmed that story and um and 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 it's the person you trusted most in all the world and it leaves you leaves us with a with a residue i'm not valuable i'm not wanted i'll always be alone you know whatever that story is and so to trace that back to you know back you know in time to to the crying baby in the crib who you know would cry for hours and no one would ever come um, it's to be able to go back and to, to name that. And, and a lot of times it's just a felt sense in the body. And I lead people through, I'll just tell listeners how to do this if they want to do this on great. their own. Yeah. And which, uh, you know, and if you go to my website, there is a link to a, a free call with calling in the one. And I, I literally lead people through the process where they can do this. Uh, I won't be able to right now because of our limited time, but if anyone who wants to do it can go and, and, and listen to that. It's a 75 minute free call. It takes you through all of these specific barriers to love and it will help you to name that core wounding. But, uh, you know, I invite people to think of the pattern that continues to happen. that's very painful and disappointing. Imagine that it's happening now. Connect with the part of the body where the pain is, the emotional center of that agony, and let that part of your body actually speak itself. Give itself a name as an I am or an I am not. And then ask that part of you, how old are you? So I am alone and I am a baby. I don't, I don't even have words yet. All I can do is lay there helpless. I'm powerless and I'm alone. And, um, and, and just really name what that is. Because that's the feeling that will come up when you get disappointed or when you get frightened again. And if we're responding to our partner from that center, that feeling, what we're going to do is create toxicity in the relationship. That's when we're going to our partner and asking for them to somehow make it better for us when we're not yet doing that for ourselves. And one of the things that is so important to be able to do is to kind of wake yourself up out of the trance once you recognize what that is, to connect with the part of you that is your current age and connect with the part of you that is competent and strong and intelligent and wise and breathe into that center and anchor the energy of that center down into the earth, out to the edges of the room, and then turn towards that younger self and say, sweetheart, you're not alone. I'm right here. I'm right here. You're not powerless. I'm right here. I know how to handle this situation. You are not in the crib. She is not your mom. You're safe with me right now. You're safe with me right now. I've got your back. And something just happened that needs to be dealt with. But you see, now you have the capacity to deal with your partner from an adult center about what just happened. And you're going to be much more successful 
in being able to create a healthy interdependent dynamic from wow, that sense. Wow, so profound. I'm reminded too of what you said really briefly earlier that if you're not relating to your partner as an adult, I think what you said was it kills eros. Can you just yeah. just take a minute and because I think what you're really saying is if you guys can't be adults together, then all the passion, the spark that there's no way that that can be sustained. Is that what you mean? Well, yes, it's it's very much what I mean. You know, I, I think to, to a certain extent, you know, in in intimate love, we are going to parent each other, you know, and I think that that that's beautiful. And there's a certain place for that. But if the fundamental dynamic becomes a reliance upon your partner to parent you because you have not yet um, demonstrated your own ability to kind of reparent yourself, um, it, it's going to to wreak havoc on the relational field. And you know, I mean, for the most part, unless you're unless you have some kind of you know, sickness in you, uh, parents and children have no sexual tension between them. And so if we are pulling on our partner to parent us, it's going to create, um, it's going to actually kill the, the sensual tension in the relationship. Um, and, and over time really erode sensuality. So, you know, it's very erotic to, to, to be two separate adults, and to have closeness and intimacy, but autonomy. That's where Eros sustains over time. And that's what we're, you know, obviously aspiring to. Right. I think in Calling in the One, you mentioned that you don't want to be in a relationship where it's 50-50, you know, each of you, where you want to be 100-100. Uh, and I liked that image of basically, are you bringing your total, complete adult responsible for yourself, self, to that field where you can play with your partner. Yeah, well, and that I was talking about in terms of being self-responsible. And I will say a lot of the things that we're learning and calling in the one, um, I think you alluded to this too, Neil, they are training, it's a training ground for preparing us to be able to navigate a healthy, loving relationship uh, where we learn the healthy skills of interdependence um, and so, you know, a lot of the, 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 the kind of way that calling in the one is, is design and actually conscious uncoupling too, which I think of really as the precursor to calling in the one, you know, you want to be clear and in an empowered place with your previous relationships in order to manifest a relationship that has, you know, an even better prognosis for success. Um, but I think, um, and longevity, but I think that, you know, this, this willingness to be self-responsible, training ourselves to step outside of victimization and to ask ourselves how we might be the source of whatever is happening is one of the keys to having a great uh, lasting love affair. And, um, I, you know, I love Gay and Katie Hendricks, too, with their conscious loving because this, they point to this all the time, this, uh, this skill of, of being really responsible, self-responsible. So even if in the way that we're sharing our needs is very self-responsible. And I think that's what we're talking about. You know, like I, I kind of am holding my, 
own younger self. I'm aware of my own erroneous meanings. I know when I've been triggered into a false story. I can share, not from the center of that. I can share that that's happening, you know, authentically and transparently while I'm kind of holding and containing it within myself, right? It's very different. And that's, that's magnetic. That's vulnerable in a way that makes someone so approachable and so lovable as opposed to when we're just talking and blasting someone from the wound and um, because that's frightening and that's repelling and that's what makes people, you know, really back up and not trust their right. partner. I want to point out to our listeners that, as I mentioned, I, I've gone through the conscious uncoupling program and both that and calling in the one have such valuable things, not just for either the process of getting into a relationship or in the case of conscious uncoupling, getting out of a relationship, but you are really building those those skills and tools and ways of being that help you be more fully in relationship. And what's funny is that I actually was breaking up with my current partner when I went through the conscious uncoupling course and it had such a profound impact on me and how I was able to show up um, that ultimately I think that affected how I could show up in the breakup. And we ended up staying together. And in fact, today we're, we're better than we, we were before we started breaking up. And I definitely attribute a lot of that to having some, some better tools for navigating what it's really like to, to be in relationship and confronting your fears, creating a vision, seeing how you've put your power outside of yourself in your, in your partner versus taking responsibility for yourself and how helpful that's been from, for myself personally. Wow. That's great. I get very inspired hearing that. Neil. Well, I know you said, I, I think I remember you're saying something in conscious uncoupling about like, you know, don't, don't get any ideas like so I'm not I'm not telling people who are going through difficult breakups right now that they're destined to stay together with the person by going through conscious uncoupling and and I think that was something that you even brought up. However, it definitely in terms of that breakup, I mean that relationship really ended. And I credit going through your program as a way of really coming to terms with with it ending the way that it was and being able to get off in a new direction with my partner that probably wouldn't have been possible if we had just done the typical thing people do in breakups, which is re-traumatize each other in some way and then go off and repeat their patterns with someone new. I, I love that. And, and the way that I kind of support people to do that, it's very hard when your heart is broken to give up the hope that things are going to reconcile is I basically ask people to just suspend that and to recognize that for whatever reason, you know, even if the relationship was working for you, it wasn't working for the other person. So that relationship needs to end and um, to, to do the work and to trust that, you know, life will recreate itself either with that person or with someone new. And uh, that seems to to work for people. But I get thrilled when I hear people get back together. And it's my hope that conscious uncoupling will either make a reconciliation possible or, 
far, it will prepare us to better handle the challenges of intimate love next time. Yeah, around. once you become aware of the patterns and you know the things that you're doing, I don't want to say wrong, but the things that you're doing in relationship that are leading to your a less than ideal experience, let's say, once you're aware of those things, you yeah. can't you can't do it again without at least seeing Oh my word, I'm doing, I'm doing that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, self-awareness. Um. <laughs> well, Catherine, it has been so great to talk to you today. And I mean, your, your knowledge and your ability to help people is just so juicy that I, I feel like we could talk for, for quite a while and maybe we'll get lucky and have you on the show again. In the meantime, I just want to remind everyone that they can visit CatherineWoodwardThomas.com to find out more information about her work, and uh, and also there's plenty of free stuff there. And we are also doing a giveaway of Catherine's book, Calling in the One. If you want to qualify then there are a couple of ways to do that. I'm putting together a guide for this episode that just goes over some of our salient points of conversation. And you can get that either by going to neilsatin.com slash extras or neilsatin.com slash KWT. That's for Catherine Woodward Thomas. Or you can just text the word passion P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 and follow those instructions. And if you do any of those things, if you go to my website and download the guide for this episode or you text PASSION to the number 33444 within the week of this episode airing, then that will qualify you for a free signed copy to you from Catherine of Calling in the One, which is such a great book. And thank you so much, Catherine, for offering that for our listeners. I'm so happy to. And I also wanted to mention that um, while Conscious Uncoupling is a course that you can do online, and as I mentioned, I did it, uh, there's also going to be a book coming out, right, Catherine? Yes, on the, listen to this. It's 9-22, September 22nd, which was a random date that um, Crown... The Harmony imprint chose, but but those who are numerology fans understand that nine is the number of completion and twenty two is for the world. So I'm so <laughs> excited. Plus, it's Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement and you know being clear and getting clear with people. So I'm just loving that date. So yes, nine twenty two of this year, uh, conscious uncoupling. That's comes cosmic. Out. So everyone, be on the lookout after you're done fasting and atoning um for those of you who are doing that <laughs> then then head to your local bookstore or, or amazon and check out the conscious uncoupling book and again Catherine, thank you so much for being on today i was wondering if you would mind just closing with some thoughts on being a yes being a yes in relationship in your life i, I saw that in in your book calling in the one and that really resonates with me per personally about how how do we fully show up? How do we accept what's happening in our lives and be a yes to it? Even And how do you do that even when it's not all that comfortable for you? So would you mind taking us out with just some thoughts about being a yes and what that means? 
Sure. Uh, you know, it, it reminds me, actually, what comes to mind is my dear friend August Gold's saying, um, rather than ask, why is this happening to me? We want to ask, why is this happening for me? How is this happening for me? And it's just being in this life-affirming relationship with everything that's happening and to live as though the universe is on your side and up underneath you and supporting you, to live as if, as if every circumstance that might be challenging or disappointing is answered prayer, and to assume that life is uh, supporting you to become all that you can be. And that's, that's a beautiful relationship to be in with life that will, um, I think, Absolutely. Like you said earlier, it's all about the meaning that you give what happens to you. Well, thanks again, Catherine, for being on our show. Really happy to have you here today. Thank you, Neil. It's been great to to chat with you. And just a reminder for everyone, CatherineWoodwardThomas.com. And thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.